Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 20. The Takuma Sato wins the Indianapolis 500 edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, I'm Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, this is a very interesting Indy 500 uh, that we witnessed and ready to talk about it. Absolutely. And the uh, owner for the IndyCar 1909... Uh, Spencer Neff back again for a third week. Uh, Spencer, uh, we're going to definitely have a lot to talk about. Freaking Takuma Sato, man. Two-time Indy 500. <laughs> yeah. Said, uh, you know, another Indy 500 in the books. A uh, lot to talk about. So I'm ready. Yeah, we got a lot to cover here. Uh, Sato wins over Scott Dixon. And uh, Green Rehole finishes third. Uh, Paul Tracy's butt buddy fourth. Uh, defending series champion Joseph Newgarden, the best Chevy in fifth. Patricio Award wins Indy 500 Rookie of the Year in sixth for uh, Spam. Hinchcliffe, after a couple of penalties or multiple penalties on uh, Pitt Roads, comes back for uh, seventh. Colton Herta, Jack Harvey, Ryan Hunter Ray, a very uh, Andretti esque uh, back end of the top 10. Uh, Elio Castro Dash Neves, and what likely will be his last Indy 500 for Penske, came from basically tailback to 11th. And uh, other people we'll get into in more detail, including Marco Andretti. It wasn't his time, and he fell apart as uh, he usually does. I uh, fell back to 13th there. Uh, and we'll go into more detail as uh, we go through this Grip Strip podcast. The first thing, though, is uh, Takuma Sato, two-time Indianapolis 500 winner, joins Al Unser Jr., joins other great names as only the 20th driver in the episode 20, the 20th driver ever to win multiple Indianapolis 500s. Uh, he won it in part with a pass around 30 laps to go on Scott Dixon, who had dominated the race, uh, or, or not 30 laps ago. It says there's actually 15 to go. They said something around 170. I don't know where that came from, but 15 laps to go. Sato goes and passes, passes or gets the lead. Or no, it was that's what it is. The lead change. He actually took the lead at 185 when whoever was Veach or whoever went to pit because they were on an alternative strategy. And then, uh, but he had made that pass on Dixon and Dixon couldn't come back. It sounded like they were talking about him saving fuel. It sounded like maybe he was kind of biding his time, but he had trafficked the wrong way. Jimbo Kimball, the Ryan Newman of freaking IndyCar, like you're in the way most of the time. You're always getting lapped, and he's always causing something. And yet again, he was part of the deal there. He was part of it when J.R. Hildebrand knocked the wall down in 2011, which uh, helped uh, uh, Dan Weldon, God uh, uh, rest his soul, and he won that second Indy 500. I mean, we're doing this on uh, just after the anniversary of the of Justin Wilson's passing, and that. With some of the things that happened in the race, uh, um, Justin Wilson's passing uh, wasn't in vain in the sense of some of the safety innovations that have came along. But uh, I'll throw to you first, Josh. Uh, 
Takuma Sato wins this race. Um, what what did you take away from his performance? He was up there all day, and uh, you know he took it o- away from Scott Dixon there. Um, and uh, what does it mean for him as a driver, Takuma Sato, now at 43 years old, to be a two-time Indy 500 winner? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I thought his the way he drove the race was you know very. Um, interesting. It was kind of a, a thinking man's way that he was able to do it. You know, the first half of the race, he said he was able to uh, alternate between his runs, like when he was going to push versus when uh, he wasn't going to push during a particular fuel run. And he figured out, okay, when when does he need to save versus when he isn't going to save. And I think that kind of helped him uh, figure out you know, when to pass uh, Scott Dixon because it wasn't until the very end that he actually was able to get around Dixon. Um, and then he was just able to manage his tires uh, throughout that final run and hold off Scott Dixon whenever he could going into turn one or turn three. And it seemed like he was very close on fuel, but I think even if, without the yellow, he probably would have made it um, and been able to win the race outright if it weren't for the yellow so I, I liked how he was able to approach the race and how he was able to execute that uh, final pass. And it seemed like at the very end, you know, he just waited his time kind of, and he was able to, you know, just power through and, and get around Dixon while he had that opportunity to, because it seemed like maybe Scott Dixon was going to try to maybe hold back a little bit and, you know, save a little bit. Uh, for the very end and try to make one last sprint because he knew it was going to be a battle between him and, and Taku there at the end. But for him as a driver to win the Indianapolis 500 two times, I think, you know, obviously it's a very short list even for just having two victories in the race. And I, you know, it puts him in a uh, class of drivers, you know, that's very exclusive. And, you know, say what you want about him as a, driver overall in the series for his career you know he's he doesn't have that many uh race wins compared to some of the more legendary drivers in indycar like even like scott dixon or you know like new garden or um some of the modern stars or you know like or like power but you know he's shows that when it comes to the big races he's able to come out and perform and i think that's something to be said for a career that he's had for uh, a long time now here in the IndyCar series. And, and it shows that at the end of the day, he'll be a, a very successful driver or that he, he, he is a successful driver just on the fact of winning uh, these two Indy 500s this year and in 2017. Yeah, absolutely. You, you think about uh, what Takuma has been able to do since he came to IndyCar. He won for AJ Foyt. Which is a minor at Long Beach, which is a minor miracle on multiple levels, you know. Then, then he went to Ray Hall, and it's actually or went to Andretti, won that first Indy 500 when Honda basically had a bunch of grenades, and it looked like Lamborghini F1 engines back circa 1992, and he was the one that had his engine last, and he was able to make it happened there and then this race the way he won it the way he ran it was definitely a a race that many years ago in his f1 days 
even in a lot of the early years here in IndyCar, you would have never expected Spencer. I mean, I, I know we're going to talk about the caution. I think that's going to be the next piece. But, I mean, for Takuma Sato, for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, to have the kind of week and a half or whatever you want to call it that they had was definitely a, a strong performance. And, you know, if, uh, if he's only the 10th driver to have two wins in this race, joining the most recent ones are, uh, of course, the late Dan Weldon and Juan Pablo Monterrier. And, um, of course, you got Harry Lunatic, Alan Sir Jr., M.O., uh, Gordy, Roger Ward, Bill Vukovic, and Tommy Milton back in a hundred years ago, nearabouts. But uh, initial, uh, what is, what do you think, uh, Spencer? Going and talking about Takuma Sato, man, two-time Indy 500 winner. Well, I think you guys both touched on it a lot, um, and we saw sort of a shift from what he was back in his F1 days in his early IndyCar days. Um, I've talked about that 2012 Indy 500 a lot being the first one I was there and, you know, how he attempted that very aggressive pass on Frank Heaty going into one on the last lap in 2012. And I think that he's definitely learned from those types of mistakes. Um, And Josh said, uh, you know, he's got the two... 500 wins, which in total is only, I think, 20 drivers who've ever won at least two Indy 500s. Yeah. He's got Long Beach, so he's, you know, yeah, you know, we talk about the no attack, no chance uh, mantra that he's been known for, but, you know, he's also won some pretty big races and, you know, really kind of come into his own as of late uh, in the IndyCar series. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're talking about the two biggest races in on the calendar uh, is Indy 500 and the Long Beach Grand Prix, and he has both of them, and or and he has three and a total of three, and you know, and you can and the who's who of of drivers basically has won both of them uh, for the most part, and so for Takuma Sato at 43 years old, doesn't look like he's aging. Uh, you could make an argument he's probably in better shape now than he was 20 years ago or whatever when he was driving in Formula 3 and was going to be Honda's next big thing. And now Honda and Japan and all this, even in a time of, of COVID and all the craziness, it's going to be a very huge uh, deal for the country, for this, for Honda, for everybody, and for Ray Hall. Um, it definitely is a big deal. And that's the next piece uh, here. Um, the race, of course, ended under yellow uh, controversially for some. Uh, my initial reaction was, oh, should have red flagged it. But, you know, when the Spencer Pickett, who was the third, and that was the other one that they butchered. I was re- trying to remember the Nashville station that butchered the names of both Takuma Sato and they also... Uh, they made uh, Spencer Pickett's ego or something. He made him French. Um, the fact of the matter is Pickett went and absolutely demolished the attenuator. Uh, the mirror or something went through the arrows, that, that arrow screen. And 
I mean, he was knocked out there. He looked worse for wear. Um, and that ended the race. And because they were never going to be able to get the thing repaired, they were not going to be able to, in time, it was late. It was only going to be two laps. There's too many things. Um, Josh, uh, your, what did you think of the way that race was handled at the end there? Um, knowing how we we go over all different types of racing, and of course NASCAR is one of them, and I think there was a segment of the population uh, that that reacted adversely because they didn't end the thing under green. Um, versus, you know, the there's plenty of races and plenty of race series that end on, under yellow. So, what did you take away from that? How they handled it, and also for Spencer Piggott and how everything went down for him after what was basically, you know, a solid, a solid day for a team that's only in their second or third start. Yeah, it was definitely a kind of a, not lackluster, I would say, but maybe um, kind of uh, anticlimactic in a way, because it, it did take away the suspense that we were going to see with um, if Takuma would have ran out of gas or if he wouldn't have ran out of gas or if Scott Dixon could have closed the gap and tried to make one final push at uh, getting the lead there at the very end. But we didn't get to see that. And, you know, when the caution came out, I kind of thought to myself, like, I'm not sure if this is going to go back green or not. It it looked pretty bad and and it seemed like it was going to take a while to clean up. You know, it seems like IndyCar races do take a little bit. Uh, longer to clean up with the amount of damage that a crash can uh, produce on the racetrack and and if it maybe if it were just like a, a spin and he was able to recover the car uh, like in a different corner and, and there wasn't any damage maybe it could have been a quick yellow and they would have gone back to green with two to go or maybe a, a one lap to go uh, type of situation but that didn't happen and I'm you know I'm okay with it like that every you're not going to get every race where you're going to have a last or five lap dash to the finish. And I think the fact that, you know, a significant portion of the population watches a series where we routinely see that almost every week where it's almost like you just wait until lap 198 and then uh, we go and race each other for the win. I, you know, definitely there's a lot of oversaturation there. And, you know, people like to want to say that, oh, this is not a legitimate win because he didn't win under yellow. I mean, come on, like there have been other drivers throughout history who uh, have won races throughout their careers where there's major races throughout their careers. Like, you know, for example, like Earnhardt winning the Daytona 500 mm-hmm. coming to the caution. Yep. You know, that that's a pretty significant one. And you can't go Richard back and Petty. just say that yeah that too Richard Petty the 200 victory you know like you can't just say like oh those weren't or this isn't a legitimate win because it entered under yellow and then um not also say those ones were but you know that's all for arguing but I'm so like I I think I'm okay with it under ending under yellow and you know that's how it's gonna go sometimes and for Piggott you know it seemed like he was gonna have a a decent finish for himself and for his team and it just so happened that the you know he was at, lost control of his car and ended up getting in a pretty hard lick uh which i think is a very testament uh to the design of the aero screen which was very much featured throughout the race in some of these wrecks and 
I think if it weren't for that, you know, you may have seen a lot worse uh, come out of that for him. So I think we should all be uh, glad that he was able to survive that and that they were able to come up with a design like that for uh, Spencer Pickett. And even if they did go back to green, who's not to say that there would have been a, a worse accident um, on the final lap or with two laps to go or something like that and have a bigger accident and maybe even somebody else get injured potentially or something like that. And, you know, that's not, not a good thing to put these, these drivers in uh, that type of situation. So I think it was probably just better off um, from that just to end it under yellow. Um, and did that, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. So you just have to accept it for what it is. Absolutely. Uh that you go to with this race, Dario's one of is somebody who is one of my favorite drivers of all time for me. Not only in open wheel but in general, he has three Indy 500 wins. Every Indy 500 win that he has ended under yellow. In 07, it was because of rain. In 10, I forget what 10 was. There was a wreck. It had to have been. And then 12, of course, was what Spencer talked about with Takuma trying to, you know, airmail it. And I think, uh, of course, Dario pinched him. And then in 13, of course, Dario went and helped out his buddy TK and went and put it in the fence. And after TK went and passed uh, Captain America. Um, So, uh, yeah, there's these races. And yeah, so it was like, oh, yeah, Tony Kanan's win doesn't count too we could start getting down into that rabbit hole and i mean when you consider our social media and how things are in our society that's a rabbit hole there's gonna be enough people that are willing to go in there i'm not one of them i don't want to um spencer i want your take on with what uh for um Piggott, what he's gone through this you know losing his full-time ride with ed carpenter after kind of being a domestique going and doing what he had to do working his way up through the rti and now he's running for buell robbie buell and this citrone guy whoever he is and the fact of the matter is robbie buell's a guy who's been a solid owner he's been a guy who's developed talent over the years um i i, I think the two quite first thing is like you know about what spencer piggott did over this couple of weeks in terms of his future, whatever, hopefully, God willing, he'll be okay, everything will be all right for him, and, like, talk about the, I guess, details of the wreck in terms of what, you know, the aero screen, and then also, I guess, more of what the team is, and, I mean, I guess, give an overview of what we're looking at with Spencer Piggott, Robbie Buell, that whole thing, Um, hopefully, what that looks like for possibly future opportunities. <clears throat> yeah, well, um, obviously, like you said, you know, Piggott won the Indy Lights title back in 15, um, had that three-race deal with RLOR in 2016, ended up parlaying that into a road and street course deal with Ed Carpenter racing later in the year, um, did that in 2017 as well, and then 2018 and 2019 um, also had, uh, ended up going full-time with ECR and then CR did to move on from him. And this deal got kind of brought together with, you said, Robbie Buell and I think it's Nick Centrona 
Citron, I want to say he mentioned he's part owner of the um, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so we'll have to see. I know yeah, yeah. that, um, you know, obviously they had sponsorship from my Jack, which is Mike Lanigan's company. Um, and then uh, in this race, they had sponsorship from Hy-Vee, which is, um, so you know, a local grocery chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so we'll have to see. I know. You know, just going on Twitter, they, you know, a lot of their stores were tweeting about Pickett's performance afterwards. Um, well, to see what uh, their plans are, you know, in the future, obviously, the pandemic's kind of screwed everything up. But, you know, obviously, people know Robbie Buell from, you know, his days with the Menards team, uh, being co-owner of Dry and Reinbold, so be nice to see both an old face in Buell and, you know, somebody new and with connections like Nick Cintron in the paddock again. So hopefully the uh, future is bright for that team. Yeah. And I, and also talk about like when, when it comes to what happened to Spencer there at the end, uh, Spencer um, going and, and, and that wreck and how it kind of was just like, the it was like the perfect storm there where he got sideways he went in the fence and then it just kind of led him right into that attenuator and it was the absolute absolutely demolished that thing and then there was and destroyed the whole right side of his car didn't know that there was a anything had penetrated that that arrow screen but when you look at how everything was handled now of course the great uh, IndyCar safety team both on the medical and as in general how they handled that situation and what 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 it says about the car like talk about that um, well you had alluded to you know you obviously got loose coming off before and took a very hard impact and went straight into the wall thankfully you know he looked like got the wind knocked out of him or something and was lying on the ground for a bit, but it was like an alert and went in. It actually, they actually said that he had a, I believe it was suspension part pierced the uh, arrow screen, which was the same thing that happened to James Hinchcliffe five years ago in practice when he had his crash and almost bled out. So thankfully, you know, we've had, had the arrow screen, uh, you know, and that helped a lot, obviously. Um, fortunately, had to go through some difficult circumstances to get that. Oh. Um, so, you know, and I don't think anybody can say enough good things about the uh, IndyCar safety team and how quick they are to respond and make sure that, you know, all these guys are okay. Absolutely. It- the, the, that wreck and how everything went down and how it was managed at the end of the day, that race was going to end under yellow, no matter what they did. Um, it's unfortunate for Piggott and that organization, you have Robert and Nick Citrone uh, with Tom and Robbie Buell. Um, so the, so you got a lot of, so you got a Pittsburgh representation there with the Citrone family 
And then, of course, Robbie, you know, he's been around forever, former Indy Lights champion, ran in cart way back when, before then he went to AIRL, as Spencer said, with uh, with Menards. Uh, he drove the, the second car there um, with um, Tony Stewart back in the day. Um so, I mean, and the thing talking about something piercing through the arrow screen, like you think about suspensions, you think about things that have, you know, whether it's Senna, whether it's, you know, Felipe Massa, um, you, you know, of course, uh, Justin Wilson, as I mentioned earlier, uh, all those incidents, uh, I mean, there's, it's, it's a, it's insane to think how debris flies and how it could just be, you know, the it could be this the split second thing and um you just bless all those guys, all those men and women, all those people that are working on those safety teams and taking care of these drivers because they're the best in the business at it and they, and it's no and it's no comparison. Uh, it took NASCAR freaking decades to finally make their own safety team. IndyCars had their own safety team for decades, for basically as long as I've been alive, if not maybe longer than that. So, uh, you know, so that that speaks a lot to what they're doing there. Um, the last piece we're going to do here in terms of Sato and this organization is connecting it to Ray Hall. The fact is, I, I look at this second win. It's a, only the second time uh, Ray Hall Letterman has won. Of course, Bobby Ray Hall legendarily beat Coogan in '86 with um, for uh, for the uh, True Sports team and Jim Truman, who um, when you go and connect it to current day uh, motorsport is um, connected to Cindric because. Austin or, or Tim Sindrick is married to Jim Truman's daughter. So that means Austin Sindrick. There's this whole, there's that whole family dynamic, the Ray Hall family dynamic. So that's interesting. Of course, Sindrick worked for Ray Hall for many years before he went to team Penske. Um, but for Ray Hall and of course, David Letterman, who's probably one of the biggest fans of IndyCar racing has been, and of course, being an owner of this team, co-owner of this team with Bobby Ray Hall since 1996, uh, for that second Indy 500 win, it's a huge deal. Uh, all three cars were competitive. Graham was as good as he's ever been at Indy. He's had good runs there, but he was competitive all day. Um, I'm. It kind of makes me sad as a Graham Ray Hall guy. I want to keep on pronouncing it differently like Lee Diffie does. But, uh, you know, just uh, the possibility he could have had on a restart because of how crazy he can be um, and how good he is on these big ovals. But it, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of 2004 when they won with uh, with Buddy Rice because they were fast all month. They had three cars, all their cars. I think you, you had... Um, uh, I mean, I know they had Vitor Mira back in that back in the day, and uh, you, and they were fast. I mean, Buddy Rice qualified on pole, and they were a dominant figure. Of course, Andretti was there with Andretti Green. Tony Kanaan, of course, was up front because it's Tony Kanaan. 
but in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the way they looked in 04 is the same way they looked this year. And I might have been the first time that's been the case in a while. Yeah, sure. Uh, Miss Hummer uh, had her run in 2005, but really yeah, she qualified well. You know, they probably could have put her on the front row if they really wanted to, but they didn't um for more for more box office and then she ran out there on a different fuel strategy and that got more news than dan weldon winning the race but i think this was the best performance for ray hall letterman no lanigan uh since then and it i think for when you when you look at indycar right now you have the big three you have penske ganassi andretti and those are the big three. But for Ray Hall's team to go out there and beat those three teams, which have, I think, 100 cars, that speaks to how how good and how deep this IndyCar uh, paddock is. Um, and, and the results actually kind of show it. Uh, in terms of Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, Josh, um, What does it say to to their opportunities? I mean, I think this year we kind of know who's going to win the championship, but I think long-term winning another Indy 500, it's got to mean a lot because they're they're one of the few teams that's able to kind of accumulate sponsorship too. Yeah, definitely. I think for that team, I think this with this victory, especially right now, I think it's going to help them be more viable uh, throughout the future and definitely bring a lot of attention. And that's something that they can uh, continue to bring upon themselves that they won this race with, with that team and they'll be able to use that uh, to help probably attract uh, more sponsorship and things like that. And that'll help improve their team and their performance. And I, I think going forward, You'll, I think it will probably help. It'll help them be better at all the other tracks as well. Um, I think this year they've been a little bit solid. I think for both Sato and and Ray Hall at at the oval tracks, and I think you'll see them continue to be a threat at Indy and all the other ovals, and probably a handful of the road courses in the coming years, as long as uh, they have those two teams together and their third car as well. Yeah, with this Citroen Buell thing, it looks like it's a very solid partnership. I think it's something where Ray Hall has always uh, looked at trying to expand back out the way that they used to be in the IRL days. Uh, and I think this might be the right time with the right kind of people because, of course, Bobby Ray Hall's a great businessman, uh, got got dealerships out in PA. So I think it kind of is a good connection there between the driver with Robbie Buell and who has good business savvy himself and Citroen who's got a lot of money. So that's the thing. And Spencer, you're the IndyCar guru. I mean, you you remember, you know, 2004, it's the IRL days. It's a totally different time than where we're at right now. But for, for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan to go and get and an Indy 500, second Indy 500 in this time where um, you you look at the big three and for them to 
go and get this. And this was actually, I, I didn't remember this. They actually, it was a rain shortened race. It was only 400. Uh, it only, they were, uh, they only ran 180 laps. So they, uh, they only finished, or was it 450 miles of that race. So um, definitely uh, an interesting uh, a deal there for Ray Hall Letterman to finally come through again for the first time since 2004. Yeah, and you'd talk about that 04 race being kind of under uh, extraordinary circumstances. If you go back to Bobby's win in 1986, that race got moved back because it was supposed to be run, you know, Sunday the 25th, got rained out that day, got rained out the next day, and then they moved it back to the next Saturday. So I think... I looked this up earlier. It's those are the only two um, 500 since I think 67 or 68 that have been run after May 30th because that used to be the big day. Um, as far as the future of a team goes, you know, right, you talk about having these winners on board, um, and obviously a young, talented driver with Spencer Pickett, so. Um, right, we'll have to see, obviously, the pandemic and everything's kind of um, put everything into question. But, you know, could easily see Piggott coming back, if not for, you know, a couple races towards the end of this year, maybe for part-time schedule sometime with that team next year. Yeah, that would be, that'd be good for the series. I mean, trying to find viable and worthwhile teams and people that can actually go and show up and, and be competitive. It'll be good for the series in, in general, uh, to, to have that. And, um, like I'm looking back at this and this is some, this is some crew. You got mad dog Marty in that field. Holy crap. He crashed of course, cause he's Marty Roth, but I mean, you got some of these. You got Tora Takagi, Christ. Um, you have uh, Roger Yasukawa was the third Ray Hall car uh, with Buddy Rice. I was, I knew they had three cars. I just couldn't remember who the third guy was. There was Buddy Rice and Vitor Mira. Bruno Junquera drove for for Newman Haas that year, and they were really good. That was. Like, they had some sort of bank sponsorship or whatever that year, whatever, into or it might have been whatever the sponsor was in cart, but they ran really well. And Bruno Junquera ran well in his limited appearances at Indy, even with some of the struggles he had had on the other side there. But that's uh, going, and we're going a little throwback there in terms of previous Indy 500s there. We'll go into the next piece, which is Scott Dixon. I mean, he dominated the deal. It, it looked like a typical Scott Dixon. Or, I mean, it's one of the best performances he's ever had in the 500. He has won the 500, of course, and he dominated that day, too, in 2008. But I think this was part and parcel might have been the best performance he had ever had for 170 laps. 
and then it just went away. I mean, he, him and Alexander Rossi had a great battle before Rossi, you know, imploded. He was able to kind of hold off Sato. Newgarden was up there. Uh, Pagano was up there. He was able to manage all challengers for basically a good 75, 80% of the race. And then, you know, Sato there in that last run, last uh, that last sequence was able to go and pass him and, and, and Dixon had no answer. Um, Josh, for, I mean, Dixon's probably going to win number six this year. It's almost a guarantee at this point. There's only one driver that's within a hundred points right now. And there is no more double points the rest of the year. Um, but how disappointing is it? for Scott Dixon to not come through, get this second Indy 500 win when he's got a lot of things going right now that, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to be repeat. I mean, it's possible because it's Ganassi and Dixon, but how disappointing is it? And what, what, what was the key to you that cost Dixon this victory? Well, I think it has to be very disappointing, extremely disappointing that you lead just over half the race and clearly on green flag periods you were out front for most of it and you had the best car the best pace and outside of qualifying it looked like you guys were the dominant team throughout and it's just um has to be very crushing to only have as for as much of a driver scott dixon is to have all the victories that he has, all the championships, to only have one Indianapolis 500 victory, I think it has to be very disappointing. But for him, I think this race in particular, I think it was just not pushing uh, Takuma Sato hard enough at the very end. I think he maybe let him go and what like he let him go too far back and he just hung back too far for. Um, him to make a more serious challenge because I think if he would have kept pressing the issue I think maybe he would have been able to pass uh, for the win there um, even if they uh, were able to do it before the yellow flag came out I think he just laid back a little bit too far at the end and maybe played it a little bit too conservatively Um but then again, you know, if he would have pressed it too much and, and wrecked out, then we would have been talking about him wrecking out of the race and, and possibly pushing too early. But, you know, with this package or, or with uh, the set of rules that they have with the aero screen causing difficulty to pass and, and all of that and it being hot in August with this low downforce car that they have, I think – it really uh, is important to not lose the lead and and uh, try to fight very hard to keep it. And I think I think he just maybe got a little bit too um, too conservative at the very end of that race. Just um, let him go and and you know he really only mounted like maybe one or two challenges for the lead and and you really have to be on it to be able to get around him and and maybe if he would have just timed his runs a little bit better to uh, get to you know, side by side with uh, Takuma Sato at either in turn one or turn three. I think maybe you would have seen him try to get around him. Go and do that. Um, it's it's one of those days. So Spencer, I was going, I was doing all that right there. What did you look at as as the determining factor for why 
uh, Scott Dixon, Michael Cannon, this this combination that is more than likely going to win a sixth championship. I mean, Dixon is, and Cannon's going to get a, another championship. I'm sure he's had championships over his years. He's been with all kinds of great drivers. But how do they not come through here? I mean, this is this is pretty – this is a bad uh, – this is a, a big loss, honestly. I mean, for Dixon, he's he's an all-time legend. He's won one Indy 500. He's got guys like Michael Andretti and all that. But this was his race, and he should have won this race, honestly, in my opinion. But what happened there? You know, really, what what was the deal? Well, I think Josh kind of touched on it. Uh, maybe he, you know, held back a little bit. Um, I did read from, I think it was Racer, that he uh, seemed skeptical that uh, they were going to make it on fuel, excuse me, as far as uh, Sato's team. So, you know, that may have been it, but just goes to show that, you know, this race and this track doesn't, play any favorites um you know you'll have to see what kind of things they do assuming this lineup's back which i'm almost positive will be for 2021 how they approach this race in this scenario next year because you got to think you know for 2021 that they're going to be just as competitive and everything yeah i don't think there's going to be any fall off you know going between now and may of next year uh you know whether you know fans and all that i'm sure roger penske is hoping they'll have fans and all the stuff but it's honestly for a guy who's an all-time legend who's one of the greatest open wheel drivers ever one of the greatest indycar drivers ever been doing this for better part of 20 years you know between cart and he won his first race at Nazareth. It was like a 19-year-old or whatever it was for the last race for last race win for Pac West, and there was nothing to him. He was a little fat little kid and uh, go karts and all that, and he came to kart and there was nothing to him. He won that race in a Toyota-powered little Pac West piece of crap at, at Nazareth and that was the start and then Ganassi signed him up in 2002 and for a guy in Ganassi who's had a had a habit of running people out of his team uh, Scott Dixon I think has lifetime membership and lifetime employment for whatever and I think uh, Ganassi's trying to get the option on Kit Dixon as well um, even though Kit Dixon's only a few months old, uh, that's part of old cheap trying to go and do that thing. But honestly, a real disappointment. I, I it just the I was so impressed with how. I mean, it's hard to be amazed at somebody who's as good as he is. But he had he it was it was in control. Like it was, uh, it was a masterful performance, and it it reminds me a lot of the Super Bowl for me as a Niner fan, like you, you, you do most of the job and there in that last little portion, it just gets away from you. 
and that's what happened and it's similar and it's unfortunate for uh scott dixon but hey he's gonna win championship number six so uh more than likely so i guess that's solace you know but the Indianapolis 500 at the end of the day, no matter what they, people want to complain about the rating, whatever, the Indianapolis 500 matters more than the IndyCar championship. And it, that's always going to be the case, unfortunately, uh, for some people. But for others, I, it, it kind of balances itself out. If you've won enough championships and you've won a lot of Indy 500s, it all kind of cancels itself out. All right, so Honda dominated this deal uh you know you had they dominated the month in terms of qualifying or i say month but whatever it dominated a couple weeks in terms of qualifying eight of the top nine the fast nine there five americans in the top 10 as i mentioned you know you have veterans you have young guys honda's had 11 of the top 15 honda's had a habit of you know struggling through regular through the season that isn't hasn't been the case this year but honda's had a habit of showing up to indy with something really special but this year was a different level to where they completely destroyed chevrolet and uh, personally i enjoyed that but um i mean what does it say for honda for what they bring hpd and this whole group josh to go and have this kind of, you know, couple of weeks at Indy as we go into the rest of the season uh, to go and the, not only the PR, but the, all these young, you know, young guns that they have there and relatively younger guys that Honda has in terms of their future for potential and future Indy 500 wins. Yeah, I think with Honda, you know, you have to – look at just like how dominant it was i mean really for the indianapolis 500 for one make to dominate that that much and and win the race you know, you have to kind of go back to when penske and mercedes destroyed the field in 1994 with uh, their beast engine that they brought for you know that one-time deal but today it's even harder to do because they have the IndyCar series engine that they've run uh, since 2012 is, you know, it's largely been the same and there've been small uh, incremental changes that they've, um, that they've had uh, over time. And, and with the, the smaller margins, it's a lot harder to have that kind of dominance. And I think, I think for Honda, you know, you have to really give them a, a pat on the back for that, um, that they are able to do that. Uh, I think they've just been able to figure it out really and, and just continue to uh, make small changes and small gains over time uh, throughout over the years just to uh, be able to get to this point. Um, and I think they they seem to have the ability to work together between the teams. I think more of the... Um, dominant teams in any car are on the side of honda yeah because um, you have obviously you have ganassi you have andretti who's just maybe a, a tick below ganassi as as a team overall i think and then you have ray hall who's always going to be a solid team in IndyCar. car uh and then 
I think from there you have that nucleus that's able to to help each other and 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 they're able to kind of feed that out to kind of their associates that are affiliated with them and some of the other teams versus Chevy which seems to be just concentrated on Penske and then they have kind of the smaller organizations around that now they have added uh spm and mclaren but that's going to take some time for them to be a a very uh consistently dominant team on the level of penske you don't probably see that for very many years if they're even able to get to that level so i think all that coordination and teamwork kind of leads that and and the amount of work that they've done over the years kind of leads that uh into the dominance for this year and i think it bodes well for their future like you brought up, I think with with that level of dominance, it's going to be able to open up opportunities for younger drivers to get into um, Honda rides later on. And you're going to see um, more backing from HPD and more support. And that's going to help other teams get stronger and be able to uh, be able to bring up younger guys and 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 have solid careers with uh Honda as their engine maker. I definitely would agree with that. Uh, I mean, Spencer, Honda had this whole month on lock. I, I say month. I, it, it's it's hard, you know, when you're used to the month of May or the month of August, whatever. They 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 had this on lock from the start. Andretti had pace all through practice to multiple whatever three or four practice sessions uh ray hall was up there uh, and then you know of course scott dixon was up there but and even in, in general ganassi was up there all three cars were i mean or at least i think erickson was up there for a bit uh it wasn't as much rosenquist rosenquist has not figured out indy it's been kind of a struggle for him uh, he did get a 12th place finish, but it wasn't typical to what uh, we're used to out of Fre- Felix Rosenquist, Spencer. But your takeaways on Honda going and doing what they did, um, you can't forget, of course, Dale Coyne is another one uh, that's up there uh, with uh, Alex Pillow, and we'll talk about him and Ferrucci and all that. Um, you know they're they're a team that can have their moments. They've had their moments over the time, years with Bourdais, uh trying to win the pole and it didn't work out and he got hurt and but he came back. But for Honda to do what they did to beat Chevy at Penske's house, and I mean Chevy is basically part of Penske because he owns half of Ilmore. For them to go and just completely eradicate Chevy there. At Indianapolis, that was, that was a pretty big deal there, Spencer. Yeah, so when it comes to, yeah, so, yeah, Spencer, you, wait, go ahead. Yeah, especially considering how dominant um, Chevy and Penske in particular have been in 2018 and 2019 after the Universal Aero Kit was introduced. Uh, mm-hmm. It was great for Honda to come back with a vengeance uh so to speak and dominate the day yeah when it, and and it wasn't just it wasn't just andretti with all 100 cars they have or it wasn't ray hall but it was everybody you know every 
big every team that Honda has had a piece in, in this deal. You had you had the the Andretti guys up there all during the race. You had the Ray Hall guys up there. The Coin guys were up there. It, it shows that, and it speaks to what Josh said, that there is definitely a bigger, there's a, a balance that exists within the Honda group versus the Chevy group, which is Penske-centric, centric, and then you have, you know, Spam and ECR with Ed Carpenter kind of next level and then whatever else is left. That's really where the Chevy uh, teams are, which I think they're trying to hope for Ferrari to come in as a third manufacturer, considering how crappy they are in Formula One. I don't know how much they want to be joining uh, IndyCar, but who knows? Maybe, uh, I mean, a third engine manufacturer would, wouldn't be a bad thing, especially with this rules uh, package in general. Uh, if Ferrari wanted to come up and uh, run here in the U.S., it would be nice. And even even in their current state in Formula One, which we will be discussing on uh, episode 21 here later this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll have that out on Friday for you on the for uh, the. Grip Ship Podcast episode 21. We'll be talking about Formula One. We'll be talking about uh, NASCAR and uh, all the other series uh, that we didn't mention here, of course, because this is Indy 500 talk and Indy Car Series talk here uh, tonight. Um, Chevy, after we talk about how great Honda was, you know, Newgarden was able to work himself up there. Newgarden's one of the guys that had pace. Uh, it's the one thing that basically is missing from his career now. He's going to be the Michael Andretti, you know, whoever it is, that guy who's the best driver that has never won the Indy 500. That's now going to be his thing uh, until he wins the Indy 500. I mean, they're going to keep the same team at Penske. They're not going to let go Will Power, even though he whines all day and he's a bitch. Um, and they could probably do better with Scotty McLaughlin. Um, but the fact is, Newgarden needs to win this race to basically guarantee lifetime employment at Penske. He was the best Chevy, you know, best Penske car, I think, in general. Um, of course, uh, Pagano and that group went and did alternative strategy, uh, which helped them get up front, the defending Indy 500 pole sitter and winner. But in the end, Pagano ends up in 22nd, two laps down, because he had problems. Something happened there. I'm forgetting off the top of my head what happened to Pagano, but... And he lost a lot of points in terms of his uh, challenge for the the second place in points. Uh, he went from he dropped, I think, two or three positions. So, uh, Josh, we'll go with with Penske. You know, it's it's Indianapolis. It's Penske's house literally now. Um, New Garden runs up front, but he couldn't he couldn't hold position. Paddle Award for Spam 
wins rookie of the year at the Indianapolis 500 after failing to qualify the year before. Um, but you know, Chevy, it was definitely not a great, it was not a good look for Chevrolet, uh, in general, ECR had a nightmare day. The, the stupid retarded, I'm sorry. I use that word. I'm saying I'll apologize for apologize right there. The ridiculous space force car shouldn't even exist. The space force shouldn't exist. The fact that they made it is ridiculous. The fact that there was a Space Force car out there and it ran as bad as how it exists makes all the sense in the world. Then you had Connor Daly getting taken out there as collateral damage when he went and tried. He he looked like Mario Andretti in 1992, hitting the flat, going spinning out. Difference is he didn't go and hit the fence and jack up his feet. He went and spun out, got low, and then Oliver Askew went and launched into him like a like a freaking lawn dart um and then of course renas vk was running well and had ran into his own pit crew there a nightmare deal for ecr uh takeaways from chevrolet it was really a a brutal brutal day for chevrolet if you're a a bow tie person. I mean, you got Fernando Alonso had a clutch problem too. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you were in a Chevrolet, you were basically screwed on Sunday. Yeah. I think for Chevy, I think the most important thing was track position. And that's something that they never had the entire two weeks of um, the month of August. And then they, they were slow leading up to qualifying and the only person that was able to get a, a top nine spot in the fast nine was uh, Rena's VK, and you don't know, you never know how a rookie is going to do at Indianapolis. So it was hard to trust whether he would have a, a solid race or not. And actually, for him, he was seeming like he might have been the be- second best or best Chevy that they had, but then he just made a mistake on, on his pit stop and got too close to the the pit wall and and got behind and then ended up losing time to the leaders and then for Penske for the most part except for Newgarden they they qualified all in the back for the most part and they just weren't able to um, get up front they just never had the pace and yeah they did try an alternate strategy with uh, Simon Pagano there but uh, he just wasn't able to uh, take advantage of that strategy due to circumstance and and I think probably just lack of pace and as a result the defending winner didn't even really get a chance to defend his uh, race uh, title from last year and so that was kind of disappointing to see and same thing goes for Will Power as well just just never had it and I think for Penske it's got to be kind of disappointing they're basically MIA the whole month of August and and all that and Newgarden just you know he was able to make something out of nothing I think but then once he got up to you know the top five he just showed the lack of pace was pretty obvious to see and and uh, he just wasn't going to be able to hang with uh, the Hondas I mean I think if they got into an extreme uh, fuel strategy scenario where you saw the cars run out of gas in front of him and everybody just started dropping like flies maybe could have seen him win the race but that's not how it was going to play out 
and then also for the McLaren cars, you know, with a word was able to kind of show that his pace from carb day wasn't a fluke. And he was really, honestly, he was really the best Chevy that they had throughout the entire race. And he was able to um, make it up there. He had good pace. His car handled very well. And he was able to make some moves. And I mean, I don't think he got the lead or anything, but he was uh, able to bring home an impressive run for a rookie. And then Alonso, as much of the hype he brings, he just never had the pace at all throughout uh, the qualifying, throughout um, any of the practices. And and I think it would probably have been better for them to go to a backup car when he wrecked, because I think that probably hurt him just staying with the car that he had uh that he crashed with and I think that probably hurt them and and you know he didn't have the pace and then he had that clutch problem obviously which I think is probably um par for the course for how he performed really and then obviously you look for Ed Carpenter to always do well at Indy and and um they are basically behind the ball from the very get-go and they had wing damage um when they got into it with I um, I can't remember who he got into, Zach but Veach. yeah, Veach, yeah, he got into Veach, yeah. and, and I think Veach, like, cut him off in the short shoot between, yeah. uh, one and two, and basically killed his race, yeah, and Rachel. never really got a, got a chance to, uh, show anything for his car, and then, obviously, collateral damage, like you said, with Connor Daly, and, and I think he had a solid run going, and then, obviously, like we both pointed out, it was a, Best impression, I think, for 1992 Mario Andretti crash in Turn 4, um, which is disappointing for, to see. And I think we're all kind of wondering how his pairing with Cole Pern was going to turn out. And I think we're going to have to wait another year. And hopefully uh, Cole Pern is able to make a return to Indy because I think um, this type of racing probably suits him. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think him – I think that Cole Pern and uh, Connor Daly – combination if ed carpenter finally comes to his senses and decides to to just literally focus on indy maybe if he wants to do the ovals however many ovals are going to be left at this point uh, i think richmond will be back next year and you know it might bring nashville back in play they're going to run nashville street course it looks like that's what's going to be uh, going on, uh, you know, they could run a double dip. They run Nashville on a street course, and then they go and run, you know, Nashville Super Speedway, that crappy place. Again, they could, that would be an oval, but, you know, you're going to have Gateway, which is one of the go-tos for this series now. Gateway has become a, 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 one of the better tracks that they go to on the whole entire circuit. circuit. Um, I mean, Pocono's out the door right now. I don't know. Nick Igdalski doesn't really have a clue. Um, you know, when it comes to ovals, it's going to be hard. Phoenix, all any any NASCAR-related ovals basically out. SMI, they're going to Texas. They probably shouldn't be going to Texas. It's a dump. Charlotte sucks. Atlanta's too rough. Uh, you know, they can't go to Bristol. You can't go to... I mean, there's really not a whole lot of options right now, ovals-wise. Penske should probably look at either MIS or California ACS. I think Irwindale would be an interesting one. Nobody thinks about it, but 
But uh, yeah, when it comes to ovals, I think uh, Ed Carpenter needs to kind of give it up. Uh, he doesn't have it anymore. God bless him. He owns a team and he's investing in the series, but he doesn't have it. You know, he didn't even have it on qualifying day, which is where he's made his name. Three-time Indy 500 pole sitter. Didn't have it. Um, it's. I think you need to go and invest in two full-time cars and you need to have two drivers that are there the whole year. You want to run the number 20 car, go and come up with a different number and run and you want to keep the 20 number fine go and run uh the zero two or whatever for connor i i think you have a combination in connor daly and renas vk that could go and win you races if you commit to that um that's something that we will i guess find out between now and um next march when uh, they start the 2021 season uh spencer Chevrolet absolutely um, crapped themselves, and, and and it was definitely for people who don't like Chevy, it's uh, it was a good thing. Uh, but for people, I mean, it, for me, I I I, I want to see Joseph Newgarden up there because I appreciate what he's been able to do and his talent. And what he came from in terms of running the world stage and then coming back to America because the world stage wasn't willing to go and give him a shot. Same way as they didn't give a shot to Connor and insert, I think, about a third of the grid that we have right now in IndyCar. Um, and also Paddle Award. Red Bull ran him out the door the way they run out Formula One drivers. But really a disappointing week or, or week and a half for chevrolet and penske racing to not do what they usually do which is dominate indianapolis <clears throat> sorry yeah like i said it was kind of uh interesting contrast after how you know chevrolet dominated 2018 and 2019 and like i said it wasn't just penske this time it was you know Ed Carpenter, thing who dominated back then. But you know, in spite of all that, um, I think that um, Pato Award is somebody who, even outside of a 500, uh, is going to be a breakout uh, candidate pretty soon. And you know, maybe not this year per se, but I think. Definitely by the end of 2021, uh, we'll see him in victory lane and uh, we'll start to see him pretty often uh, because, you know, you saw he was fastest on carb day practice as well. Um, So, yeah, this 500 didn't turn out like I'm sure Chevrolet planned, especially with Penske taking over the speedway and, you know not really having any competitive cars outside of new garden who made his way up to fifth, but um, there's a lot to uh, like there and got Renus VK who was doing well up until that pit road incident, like you mentioned. Yeah. And that, that Renus VK deal, I mean, he's bumming out about that. Uh, he had a great car. Uh, he was running really well. 
you know, they kept on bringing up the fact that he fenced it twice at Texas and how all old Ed Carpenter who's no, I mean, I love how he got butthurt about how Renus went and put in the fence twice when Ed Carpenter is not exactly known for all his great talent and skill, but, um, you know, you're, you're, you understand that when you're getting a young gun and somebody who is as, uh, who has as raw, but as talented as Renus VK is. And it's the same thing as what spam has with Oliver Askew, who the, both of them have been doing this thing for six, seven years in the RTI um, you're going to have your moments where you're going to have those moments of brilliance and you're also going to have those moments of, of, you know, sheer frustration. And I mean, it was unfortunate he went and got in was crashing his little pit crew there. And it was, it was something that basically set the tone for the rest of the, the, the race there. And, and, for Renus to not be able to get the kind of finish he probably deserved finishing a lap down. It was a shame, but I think like his mentor, Harry Lunatic, um, I think Renus VK has a confidence and he built it over this uh, limited practice and time at Indianapolis. And I think he wants to come back and have another opportunity and he will have another opportunity next may in a in a car that is liable to be better than what it was this year and who knows uh just like harry lunatic it wasn't something that he he didn't win a whole lot of races but he won two indy 500s and he made his name on big ovals and so i mean what what's to say renus vk won't do that uh, he has the support of Max Verstappen, Yas Verstappen. And I think uh, Renus has a, a future for sure the same way as Oliver Askew does. So, I mean, while Chevrolet had a bad run uh, in this Indy 500, I figure between now and May, they will be in a much better position to compete uh, for the next Indy 500, the 105th Indianapolis 500 at that point. Um the next part we're going to talk about is the wrecks. I mean, there was definitely, there was mostly single car incidents. Uh, they're, they're quite uh, big wrecks, I would say. You know, you had Marcus Erickson uh, dramatically exiting. Oliver Askew's exit was definitely dramatic. Alex Pillow was running right. He was in contention. Rossi had arrow wash after getting an EOL uh, with that penalty with Takuma Sato, which could have ended up ending Takuma's race. It didn't, and he wins the race while uh, Alexander Rossi goes and gets sent to the back, gets held up by Jimbo Kimball, um, arrow wash, hits the fence. I mean, it, it, the these wrecks kind of showed not only the 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 benefit of the arrow screen, but it also showed that these cars are really on edge. And, uh, even in, in, in these were the vast majority of these wrecks were with cars that were generally up front. 
I mean, Askew was ma- made his way up front, relative up there. Uh, Erickson started 11. Pelot started in the top 10. So did Rossi. And Rossi's an Indy 500 winner. He's one of their most aggressive drivers on ovals and in general. Um, for those kind of guys to go and wreck, I mean, it, it says a lot about how hard it is to go and drive, but it also speaks to the safety innovations that um, that they have. Uh, Josh, I mean, what was the one, it, was there one wreck that kind of stood out outside of Piggott in terms of who wrecked and why and how? And uh, speak to the safety innovations in general that that we saw. I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but um, in general, not only Indianapolis Motor Speedway and what they do for safety, but what the IndyCar series has done to keep these guys safe, because those wrecks were pretty hardcore, and they all got out on their own power for the exception of really Spencer Pickett, but he was walking around, driving around, and he was okay. Yeah, I think for for me, I think the other wreck that kind of stuck out to me was Connor Daly's crash that ended up collecting uh, Oliver Askew there. Uh, I think if for uh, for Connor, I think he probably would have saved it if um, Askew didn't also crash because I think it was looking like it was just going to be a spin out and he was going to be able to save it. Um, I think for that, it was more of a case of like like we saw in the replay, he touched wheel uh, with the curbs, and that caused his car to uh, lose control, and then he ended up spinning out. Um, and so I think that was just more of a, a case of just making a mistake, and I think that's the same thing for Rossi. I think if you go back and look at the replay, I think you can see his um, either his left front or uh, left rear kind of make contact with the curb and cause him to lose control off the of turn two and uh, end his race there. Um, I think... Probably the hardest crash besides uh, Piggott was Oliver Askew, and I mean, I think it's pretty pretty heavy impact that he made with the inside safer barrier uh, coming to pit lane, and that was a pretty uh, hard crash. And and I thought, um, you know, he wouldn't, not that he wouldn't be okay, but it definitely looked like he might have been shaken up after that one. Um, so I think for the crashes is just just a case of drivers making mistakes and also you know making um uh or losing handle on the car obviously as this uh, car is pretty pretty tough to drive but i think also with uh, the amount of chances there were for debris to enter the cockpit or for the uh tire or loose tire to potentially strike a driver in the head uh, i think the air screen pretty did a pretty good job i think um once again, especially with uh, the Indy cars on these ovals, it shows uh, exactly what the air screen is there for and what its purpose is. And it's a great situation that couldn't, or great innovation that couldn't have come at a better time for the series, especially um, with, with how Formula One has implemented theirs. I think it was more than uh, overdue for Indy, and I think they finally made it. Um, they made it happen, and they were able to do it without um, compromising the driver. And it's a definitely a great design where it doesn't really obstruct the view or cause the driver to feel disoriented. 
so I think it it worked out well, um, and I you know it was good for the AMR safety team as always to get out onto the scene as quickly as possible. And it's always been a thing that the series and and the speedway um, has been very good at implementing, and they will continue to do a good job. And always with the the safer barriers as well, which is something that the series and the speedway invented. And as as the years go on, you have to wonder if if um, they're going to implement a safer barrier uh, down the straightaways uh, instead of in the just in the corners, because um, they're I think they're maybe one of the last tracks um, in in America that doesn't have a, a safer barrier around the entire track. But also, you know, with with that, it does um, change how you would drive the track and probably affects the handling. So we have to see um, how they did that. I mean, fortunately, there weren't really any heavy impacts down the straight, but you have to wonder at some point they are going to have to probably consider it. Well, Roger Penske would be willing and and able to go and add that. In terms of Indianapolis, I... If there's one racetrack that's probably uh, safer than any other in 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 the United States, I think it's Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I mean, there's definitely been incidents and wrecks and stuff that has happened with deaths and all over the years that would go and speak otherwise, but that was back in the day. And I mean, the only wreck that has happened, I think, in the past a couple of decades was Tony Renna's and it's similar I think to Dan Weldon's a couple other things and whatever so I think safety wise Indianapolis has always been out of the curve I mean NASCAR tries to take credit for the safer barrier they had nothing to do with that that happened at Indianapolis with uh, Jim Downing and uh, Hubbard there at uh, Nebraska University of Nebraska and, uh, you know, the, not only Safer Barry, the Hans device, those are both things that were ahead of the curve way before NASCAR decided to bring them in. And it speaks to the safety, and I think it speaks to the long conversation we can have later, uh, probably in the postseason. Uh, Spencer, I want to throw to you. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the Dale Coyne team. Uh, Alex Pillow, of course, had an accident there trying to make it work, trying to make it happen as a rookie. Uh, he was running up front. He had a lot of pace. He's really aggressive. Um, Ferrucci gets a top five finish in Indianapolis 500. He's, he's done really well at Indianapolis in general in his two runs there. Um but there was a third car there, Spencer and um, James Davison with the uh, Rick Ware and uh, insert owner uh, team. And uh, they ended up having a problem that I don't think most people have ever seen before. Uh, they had a brake. They had some sort of a mechanical where the brake basically locked up and it exploded. And it became whatever was left. It became like molten lava and the right front corner of James Davison's car became it looked like um, it looked like a, a, a volcano. Um, 
and supposedly based on certain returns, that arrow screen saved James Davison too because the brake exploded on the back straightaway and parts were flying over his head. So, I mean, speak to the wrecks that uh, took place. What was the one that uh, stood out to you as the most, I guess, dramatic outside of, um, of course, Spencer Piggott? And then also to the arrow screen and how big of a deal uh, that was for some of the drivers, including James Davison. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, I think Josh kind of touched on the big one with, you know, Connor Daly spinning out and then Askew taking that hard hit into the wall. Um, the other one that uh, just kind of stood out, for lack of a better term, phrase would be Alexander Rossi's incident that kind of put him or that put him out of a contention, excuse me, after um, he got that penalty for being unsafely released from pit road. Uh, You look at it, you know, the car just kind of snapped on him, got loose and, you know, put him up into the wall and turned to. So, you know, like they said, I think that just speaks to how hard, this arrow kid has become to drive and, you know, could have the winning car like Rossi did, but, you know, you get pushed back into the pack like that, you know, you're, you know, kind of at the mercy of your car and the rest of the pack and everything. Yeah. And when you, Consider it Indy 500, unlike any other race, really, for the IndyCar series. You're you're going above and beyond to a different level. And drivers that you wouldn't expect to make mistakes, like Alexander Rossi, will go and make mistakes. And unfortunately for him, uh, in a year that's been a lost year, uh, he was putting a lot into... They made... Made a lot of light on uh, uh, Rossi. This whole entire this Indy 500 was going to be the one race that could save a year, and Andretti had six cars and qualified on pole, and they couldn't come through. And Rossi was part of that. He crapped himself in qualifying, and then ran up front, and then that that penalty, which to me was bogus, but the way that uh, Kyle Novak was calling things, it was quite interesting to say the least. Um, it was unfortunate. It, it it played a role in the finish because I think if Rossi's up there, I'm not so sure how easy it would have been for Sato to go. And he wouldn't have, I think passing Dixon's one thing, passing both, Dixon and Rossi and winning that race would have been another thing. Uh, but we will never know. And uh, Alexander Rossi, at least he has it. He has a one Indy 500 and uh, he has to go through the rest of the season, try to go and get a win to salvage whatever he could salvage out of this 2020 season. Uh, the, I mean, uh, you talk. I mean, I'll, I'll go over uh, that Davidson rent direct. It didn't shock me that Rick Ware uh, ends up and basically starting parks 
the Indy 500 for a hundred thousand dollars. It's the Rick Ware way, but to kind of put his driver in danger is is debatable. But hey, James Davison wants to drive for him, so it is what it is. Uh, point standings going into a doubleheader at Gateway. Scott Dixon has an 84-point lead going into the two races there this weekend. Uh, it's a much uh, for on Joseph Newgarden, and uh, there's a very close battle for the third position paddle award. Currently holds the third position in points. Uh, he is... 117 points behind Dixon, but he's only eight points ahead of of Takuma Sato in sixth, who missed Texas, the opener, because of wrecking and qualifying. There's four drivers within eight points, so it's O'Ward, Ray Hall, Pagano, Sato. And then you have 15 points between Colton Herta, Ferrucci, and Power, Felix Rosenquist in 10th who is uh, 10 points. Uh, there's 10 points between him and Erickson. Uh, Jack Harvey, it's 12 points. So there's there's battles uh, there amongst the drivers outside of Scott Dixon. Uh, if Scott Dixon didn't exist, uh, Newgarden would still be running away from with the title. Uh, you know. But otherwise, there's some interesting uh, points battles here with multiple doubleheaders coming up the rest of the year. Uh, I, I'll throw to you, Josh, you know, previewing Gateway this weekend, and uh, well, I'll probably go into the other part, but what do you look for, or who do you look for? Is it is it more like Indianapolis, or is it more like Iowa, uh, a few weeks back in terms of what we see at Gateway uh, this weekend. There will be fans there, supposedly, so fans, too, at Gateway. I think this weekend at Gateway with both of these races, you're probably going to see something actually maybe similar to both racetracks because Gateway is a place where, yeah, it drives kind of like a, a short track, but it's also very much like a speedway race, uh, given the long straights. So I think from that perspective, you're going to um, see a lot of uh, cars dependent on clean air to make passing uh, work at that track. Um, so I think you'll see you know, in the corners maybe similar to Iowa, and then on the straights maybe something similar to Indianapolis. But, I mean, you have to go back to, like, the last couple of years and – and I think for the limited history that the current series and its configuration right now has at uh, at Gateway, I think even you have to look at somebody like Takuma Sato being a player once again. You probably look at uh, somebody like Joseph Newgarden, who's won this race before in the past. Um, maybe even Pagano, who's been pretty good at at uh, at Gateway. I think those those are guys that you have to look at, and obviously you can't forget Scott Dixon as well. Um, he's been the dominant uh, race or dom- dominant car, dominant driver uh, this entire season. So he'll definitely uh, be a player as well um, this weekend. And and you know you look at both races, 
and you can picture the race or both of them as just one uh, double points race split into two days. But of course, you never know what's going to happen one race to the next and no races uh, like the other. So it's obviously going to be very difficult to see a, a repeat winner uh, take place or somebody that's going to be able to repeat their performance uh, throughout that entire race weekend. And I'll also throw in another name is that that is uh, Pato Award. And I think based off his performance at Indy and how he performed at Iowa throughout the entire weekend, and he drove all those races, he drove very solidly. His team had an excellent strategy. I think you're going to see him be a player as well. It seems like the ovals are really suiting him, uh, at least for this season. I would, I would definitely agree with uh, those picks. Uh, Spencer, I'm going to throw to you. Uh, what do you look at for the rest of this year? Right now, the schedule shows two races at Gateway, and then a month gap going to Indianapolis for two races, and then the St. Pete uh, finale. And I think there's a possibility, of course, of two races at Mid-Ohio we mentioned earlier. But... Uh, what do you look for? Are we going to see more of Indy? Are we going to see more of Iowa? Or what Josh said, we're going to see a little mix of both. And who do you look for to win these uh, two races? There will also be the qualifying will be a two-lap qualifying, uh, I don't know, I guess Friday or Saturday or whatever. And lap one is the lineup for race one. Lap two lines up race two. Well, you know, I think as Josh said, you may get a little bit of both with how long the straightaways are there, but um, I would kind of think that the guys who ran well at Iowa would, you know, be the ones to look for at Gateway as far as, um, I think, Connor Daly, Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pagino, those will be the one to watch. Uh, Same Tino Ferrucci, I think, you know, he could be there last year. You know, he, I think, led the most laps and, you know, was running really well there. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him be in contention. Uh, maybe the Arrow, McLaren, SP guys as well. Um, so, and, oh, I'm excited to see how the, uh, qualifying format for this weekend's race goes because I actually really enjoyed the way that they did that and you know think about it and I'd kind of like to see something like that done maybe for the road course races as much as I enjoy the knockout qualifying uh, style that they employ for those when you when you consider the current I guess you know setup where they go and run groups and then the fast six it's similar to what formula one has with their three stage qualifying uh <laughs> but it could uh as spencer you said i i think that if you incorporated the um you incorporate the uh two lap look kind of the similar qualifying where you run one lap your fastest lap goes or fast, uh, one fast lap goes to one day, one fast lap goes to another. We don't know what the 2021 calendar is really going to look like. 
Um, I know we're going to have probably St. Pete as the opener. We're going to have Indian, you know, last weekend in May. Sounds like Nashville's going to be um, on the schedule as a street course. Outside of that, we don't really know. I think Long Beach will be back. Detroit will be back with a double header. I think there's a no- notion of having more double headers to have more races. Um, hopefully that means they spread the schedule out a bit uh, for the teams and for the personnel that are chasing the circuit um, to take care of them because they're the unsung heroes. They're the people that make this series go. Um we will see about that. I mean, Santucci, it was a good point there, Spencer. You know, Santucci dominated this race last year. Uh, strategy kind of screwed him out of what would have been a first win. Uh, Sato, what is it? Um, Tony Kanan. And, uh, I mean, Sato started fifth, but he didn't have the kind of pace really Ed Carpenter also uh though those three guys were in Carpenter and Kanan were buried at the, and they they were able with strategy to get up there Connor Daly came up from 18th to finish 6th that was i think his first race uh with Carlin uh on the IndyCar side New Garden who's been really good at Gateway start on pole but kind of uh, didn't get the kind of finish he wanted to, but in the end it didn't matter because he still won the championship. Uh, I think the Chevy teams come back and respond this weekend. Uh, you know, the Penske's won both races at Iowa. I think it lays out more like an Iowa than it does what happened at Indy, but I think it'll be a very tight and it'll be very difficult two races um for Dixon he's never won there so it's it's an opportunity for him to go and get over the hump at a, one of the only racetracks he hasn't won at when you consider how great Scott Dixon is um and with that uh we will go and uh, move on and promote uh whatever we want to go out here on the end uh, we are the Gripster Podcast is on uh, Apple Podcast. We are on Stitcher. We're on Podbean. We're um, we're on different. We're on Spotify. We just got on Spotify. We're waiting on other uh, places to approve us here on the Gripstrip Podcast. Uh, we're on at Gripstrip Pod on Twitter. So follow us, like us, uh, go and uh, do that. So then we'll go and post more over there. I'm at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well. Not as much, but um, I'm on on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, Josh, want to go and uh, let us know where we can go and follow you. Yeah, I mean, you always follow me on Twitter at... uh... JP Huffine and then Instagram at uh, JP Huffine. Um, I mean, I'm also on Facebook too, but I don't really use it that much. Um, you know, you just look up my name on there. Um, but I mean, for I think that's pretty much all the social platforms that I'm 
usually active on. Um, so I, that's it for me. Uh, Spencer, I know you got your website and uh, other things you want to let us know uh, going on for you. Yeah, like you said earlier, it's IndyCar1909.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's at SpencerNeff11. Um, on Facebook, SpencerNeff. Um, and yeah, that's it is mostly it as far as my uh, social media platforms go. Thank you for coming on these last uh, three weeks, uh, going and providing your insight here on the GSP. And always know that uh, you're uh, open, uh, open door. If you ever want to go and promote anything, if you got interviews, anything going on on your end that you want to let us know or let people know about uh, Spencer definitely a passion and a dedication and a focus on this indycar series and the rti um read indycar1909.com he's one of the best out there um you're not going to get the bs um, nonsense uh press release crap that you get from marshall pruitt you're going to get real uh content out of spencer he he has a passion for this deal, and um, he, he did it with Tanner, um, and he's gonna he's do it on his own platform. So um, definitely read him IndyCar1909.com. It's on WordPress. Um, we're also on WordPress uh, at PhilipGMatthew.com. So with that, we will uh, see you later this week. Uh, for another episode of the GSP going over everything else that's gone on here in the uh, week of motorsports uh, preview races that are coming up. We're going to have the Belgian Grand Prix at one of the classics at Spa. We're going to have Daytona uh, wildcard race for both Cup and uh, Xfinity. It's a bigger deal for Cup because it's a cutoff. And we'll talk about other series that uh, ran and we'll talk about uh, other series that are going to be running here on the Grip Strip Podcast. We thank you for listening and uh, take care. God bless. Wear a mask, um, social distance and uh, take care of one another. Good night.